It's good to be in the house of the Lord together. It's nice to have the joy of the Lord. It's wonderful us to be able to study the word because we recognize that this becomes the it's, it's like the meal that we have as family. I don't know how many of you came from traditional homes where there was always at least one meal a day that you all gathered together and you ate and you found out what was going on in the day. And I believe that the Lord has allowed us the Lord's day where we can gather together, encourage one another, sing songs of praise and be fed in his word. And we have been on a study for the last two weeks on prayer. The first Sunday of September, we talked about praying for what I believe is America's greatest mission field. And that's praying for our schools and praying for our students. Uh, we brought them up as well as all of the, the folks that we have that work within our school districts or work with students. And we prayed for them. Last week, we began to approach the subject of why we should pray, why we should pray. And today we're going to take another step in that and we're going to to be very specific on how we can pray every day, how we can pray every day. And I'm going to ask if you have your Bibles that you would turn to Colossians chapter four, verse two, Colossians chapter four, verse two. I'm reading out of the New International Version and the scripture declares to us. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Our Father and our God, as we stand before you today, we so enjoy celebrating and singing. We so enjoy the aspect of praising you and, and we enjoy the aspect of familyhood that we experience here within our church and making new friends and just the sense of life that there is here. And I pray today that we would recognize that if there is anything life-giving about our church, it's because you're here, not because of us. It's your Holy Spirit that is life-giving to us. And as a result of that, Lord, I know that there are those that have had a very busy and difficult week. And for some of them, coming to church today was a sacrifice because when they woke up this morning, they really didn't feel like getting out of bed. And they even debated in their own mind, would I even be missed? But, Father, they came. And I pray today that through your spirit that you would honor their faith and that you would minister to their lives. Lord, for those that are celebrating, we celebrate with them. Thankful all that you do within our lives. And now I pray, O oh God, that these words which I feel that you have laid upon my heart that you would grant to them the anointing of your Holy Spirit, because, Father, if they're only my words, then they will fall dead before they ever reach a heart. But under your anointing and sent with your direction, it can reach the hearts of the people that you love more than anything in this universe. And so, Father, we ask that and we pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Devote yourself to prayer. Be watchful. Be thankful. After I had prepared this, I actually this morning was reading a different commentary because I just was interested in this word devote and in some of the different uh, contexts that uh, or uh, the different biblical contexts that you have. Sometimes it says continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. And as I was looking at the Greek word from which continue in prayer and devote yourself to prayer came from and what all it means, it, it comes from the word proskarterite, which means constant. It means persevering. It means don't get tired in prayer. And as I thought about that and I read that one, maybe 
there's different words that mean something to you, but there is a weariness that comes on us naturally when we pray. I almost believe that there is a spiritual attack that takes place when God's people begin to pray. If you're having trouble going to sleep at night, start to pray. Because there is this spiritual battle that takes place in us. The enemy does not want you to be tapped into the life-giving force that the Holy Spirit provides to us. And as a result of that, we see very clear teaching in the Word that for us there is this battle that we've got to engage in and overcome in persevering, devoting ourselves, continuing in prayer. In fact, as it talks about continuing or devoting yourself to prayer, it actually means that when we reach the state that we long desire, it means that we walk and breathe prayer every moment of every day. Now, I told you when we were talking about praying for schools as you were driving through that praying does not require that you close your eyes, especially when you're driving. In fact, the Scripture gives us the sense here that there is an attitude by which we can live our lives. That prayer is not something that we only do when we're on our knees. It's not an activity that we only participate in at certain moments when it's appropriate. That prayer is something that emanates from the heart and the soul of those who are in relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, I was kind of trying to think, what would be like this? I'm thinking, you know what? We are married men and women even when our spouse is not right beside us. We carry the ring that reminds us of a commitment we made. We are children of the living God and have communication with Him from deep within us whether or not we are actually speaking words in a prayerful manner because of our spirit that's constantly communicating with God. And the Lord is saying that this is right for us. This is the way that we should live with this attitude of prayer. And so this is something we can participate in all of the time. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful. Be thankful. The word devote carries a strength of intensity. It's not every once in a while that you think about it or when you can get around to it, but make a dedicated effort. I have told you many times that my wife and I are extremely blessed because we have praying parents. Some of you have lived in that environment where you are a product of the fact that there were those that were before you that prayed for you. And as a result of that, many of the blessings that you are experiencing in life now are as a result of somebody else praying those into your life. I've said one of the concerns I have for America today is that this is the first generation of students that do not have praying grandparents. Because their grandparents were teenagers and young adults in the 60s. And as a result of that, we have a generation of kids that are growing up without the blessing of praying grandparents and the blessings that that brings. I am thankful today for my heritage, and Cindy is as well, as we thank God for the, the blessing of having praying parents. I also understand that I am multiple generations of living the blessing of multiple generations of prayer. My dad is the fifth child in his family. He was the first one to be born into a Christian home. His mom and dad had received Christ before he was born. And my grandfather's testimony is of amazing deliverance when Christ came into his life, transformed his life. He also instantly became a very prayerful man. And whenever we would visit my grandparents in Louisiana, 
we would all have supper together. And immediately after supper, we would all go into the living room and there was a stack of Bibles in the corner. And it didn't matter if you were visiting there and they always had visitors over for dinner. If you were coming for dinner, you stayed for devotions. And everybody would sit around in the living room and we'd hand out Bibles. And sometimes they'd all be in different kind of, uh, you know, Contexts and different things, you know, one would be reading King James, somebody else, Anna B, and, and we would take turns. And I remember even as kids just learning to read, we would sit there and each of us would hold a Bible and, and one at a time around the room, we would each read a verse. And if we had words that we couldn't understand, the parents would help us out with that. And we'd go around the room until we read a whole chapter, verse by verse. And then we all turned around and we knelt down and we prayed. And my grandfather was not afraid to pray out loud and drowned everybody else in the room. Passionate about God. I got to spend a summer with them between my senior year in high school and college where I was working at an oil refinery in Baton Rouge. And, and I remember I would bring friends over to the house that I worked with so that they could enjoy a meal. And, but I told them ahead of time, I said, I've got to warn you, we are going to be having devotions right after supper and before Family Feud, which was my grandmother's favorite show. I remember as I was getting near the end of that summer, I remember asking my grandfather. Because I could hear him pray every day, he'd pray out loud, he'd pray for every one of his children, he'd pray for every one of his grandchildren, he'd pray for his nieces and nephews, he'd call us all out by name. And I remember asking him, I said, is there ever a day that goes by that you haven't prayed for me since I was born? Ever one day? And he stopped for a moment and he thought and he says, you know what, Doug? He says, there were a few days. And then he says, but there's only been just a few that I haven't prayed for you. And I was staggered by that. It made me realize that not only did he prayed for me and my mom and my dad and all of his other children and grandchildren, but I believed that the blessings that we were enjoying as a family and the fact that so many of his kids, all of his kids knew the Lord and so many of his grandkids and great grandkids knew the Lord was as a result of a grandfather that knew the value and the power of devoting himself to prayer on behalf of the family. And I remember when he died, I had an opportunity to speak at his funeral as I was addressing my aunts and uncles and cousins. I told them, I said, you know what we're going to miss the most about Grandpa? It's not the funny things that he would do or the unique sense of humor that Grandpa has or all the stupid nicknames he gave all of us. What we're going to miss the most about Grandpa is the fact that we now have lost somebody who called our name before the Lord every day. We've lost the power of his prayer and asked each of them to take up the responsibility for the next generation that we would be a praying people. I'm convinced that most Christians really want to pray. I believe we want to. And yet there's some great distance between our wanting to pray and our actually doing it. To the point where, as I said last week, we live in this guilt aspect of life where there's all these things that we know we should be doing for God. And, and the guilt itself is not enough to prompt us into the activity. And that's why I have a very practical little short message today. Very practical. That I believe is going to help us. In fact, it only has two points. Last week we had seven. This week we're down to two. It's an answer to your prayer, I know. The first point, have a time and a place, have a time and a place. One thing we all need to do if we're going to pray every day 
is to have a time and a place to pray. We need to set time and to make an appointment with that place, wherever it may be. And we need to show up for our own appointment. We don't need to be canceling appointments we make with God. We need to show up for that. Psychologists today have been using the term about people living with intentionality. I believe that that would be most appropriate for Christ followers. That is a life. Are you living a life that's just happening to you? Are you constantly in a state of just reacting to the things that are happening to you? Or is this aspect of your life that you are living it with intentionality, that you know that there are things that you must accomplish and reasons why you're here and things that you're going to do in order to live your life? A lot of us keep our iPhones and droids and things on our hip and we know exactly we turn that thing it's even got bells and whistles to remind us when we have appointments and and uh, some of the old timers still carry day timers with them and things of that nature because we are appointment type of people but i'm going to ask you to make sure that you place this time and this place where you are going to choose to have prayer at the top of the list of your priorities i used this illustration a couple of weeks ago about this the, the professor that had this jar and he poured in the gravel and the sand and the water. And then at the end, there were these big rocks. And he said, what's the lesson of all of this? It's not about you can squeeze more into your day. It's about if you want the big rocks in or the priorities, you've got to put them in first. That's the way it is in our life of prayer. If you want prayer to be in your life, then you need to make sure that you put it in first. Because much like any other discipline, it's not going to get done unless you make time for it. It's like the discipline of stewardship or of giving. If you choose to wait until everything else is paid before you begin to tithe, you'll never find that you have enough money to do that. You'll never be able to give. You have to start by putting it at the top and making the Lord first. In the same way, if you live a day and you haven't made a point to pray, it just seems as if by the time you get to the close of the day, everything else has squeezed that time out and then you're exhausted and then you're tired and you always say, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow. And so the Lord simply asks us, very simply, make a time, make a place, make an appointment. I would suggest to you, as I closed the service last week, I mentioned the fact that praying needs to be something realistic in our lives. If you haven't started praying, then the idea of waking up at five in the morning and praying for two hours is something so far outside the realm of your possibility that you're thinking, I'm a failure, I might as well just walk away now because that's not happening. So we talked about five minutes, taking five minutes. And we took five minutes at the end of the service last week. And many people uh, at the end of that began to discuss with me how quick five minutes goes. It's the same five minutes that I have a hard time getting to sit down after we greet. It's a quick period of time. Yet if you start with something, it allows something then to grow. And the scripture says that we are to pray without ceasing. Start with something manageable, whether it's five minutes or ten minutes or fifteen minutes. Make it a combination of Bible reading and prayer. But spend some time and begin at whatever level you are comfortable with. Just start. It takes time for something to become a habit. And if you will pray at that level, you will find that God will be able to help you begin to pray more because there will be other things that will come to your mind to pray about. I've discovered oftentimes when I sit down and, and there are very few days that I don't have a list of some sort, either of the needs of people that are represented within this church or my own family and things of that nature, that there's not at least a few minutes worth of just lifting the th things of the needs before the Lord 
But you'll discover as you begin to pray that God will begin to pop themes and names and aspects into your heart. That just in that moment, he says, I need these to be prayed about. And since we're talking, let me just call these to your attention. And the Lord will help you in that. But if you don't pray and if you don't start, if you don't start with something before long, you quit praying altogether and then you lose your ability to pray meaningfully. And when that happens, you can recognize it because what happens is your prayer is reduced to a series of SOS calls when you are in trouble. When we're in danger, we fire up a quick telegram and that is the extent of our praying. Lord, I need you right now. There's an emergency. You've got to come through for me. And that's all he hears from us. The teaching of Jesus says that to him who has, more will be given. But to him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, we apply this in the area of giftings in life, but I do believe that there is an application here as it relates to prayer. That if you will involve yourself in prayer, I will give you the ability to grow in that. And there will be more things of prayer that I will begin to add to your life and more responsibilities in prayer that I can begin to add to your life. But if you're not going to pray, even that your desire to pray will be taken away from you. And I believe that we live in a society that values attendance at things more than it values attention to God. If you believe that attending church on Sunday morning is going to be enough for you to have a vibrant spiritual life, you're going to be sadly disappointed. It requires of us an attention day by day to the things that the Lord would have for us, including communication with Him. By not praying, you begin to lose your capacity to pray. So it becomes a real effort. How do you get that capacity back? By setting a time and a place and a few minutes to start. And by letting the Lord begin to work in your heart again. And stay with it. I'm going to tell you something. For those of you that don't pray, it's going to be hard. Anything new is hard. Anything that's out of the ordinary of your normal life is going to be hard. But if you begin it, I believe that God will allow you to begin to sense that satisfaction and that love for Him begin to grow. And it will become something that will become more and more free for you. How many of you took piano lessons when you were younger? How many of you, your moms made you? How many of you played instruments in junior high or high school or elementary school? All kind of instruments. How many of you have children that are doing that today? How many of you know hot cross buns by heart? Hot cross buns, hot cross buns. Oh, my. Of course, if you have kids that are playing the drums, you don't know what song they're playing. I think some of the most patient people in the world are people that give piano lessons to beginners. But there was something about those piano lessons. And I remember the lady who my sisters and I took piano lessons from. And she didn't look friendly to begin with. But, you know, we would... If our fingers were wrong and, you know, I've got small hands and it was hard for me to reach all the way out. And, you know, if I was off by note, she'd move my hand, you know. And I just remember that, you know, it was so difficult. You know, we learned where middle C was and we learned some basic chords. But but after taking piano for five or six years, we got to the point where things got a little bit freer. And I love watching those who are accomplished at it, don't even have to look at the keyboard and their fingers are just moving. You know, it's amazing. But it's a great demonstration that 
beginning something is hard, but over time it becomes second nature. There are some of you in our church that are at a point of your life where praying and interceding is second nature to you. We need you. We need you to cover this church in prayer. We need you to pray that we will be involved in what God is doing. I don't always want to ask God to bless what we're doing. I want to see what God is doing and get involved in that. We need you to pray for us as a body that God would help us in those things. Jesus had regular time and a regular place to pray. Mark 1, for example, gives us a typical day in the Lord's life. He begins it in the synagogue. Then he goes home for lunch. And then at nighttime, he has a crowd standing around him who wanted to be healed. And then it says in the next day in Mark 1.35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place to pray. It was his instinct to go pray. I mentioned last week, if there was ever anyone that didn't need to pray because they were God incarnate, it was Jesus. And so the entire example of his life is for us. If he needed to pray, if he needed that communication to model it for us, then certainly we needed to pay attention to that. If he wasn't praying early in the morning, then he was praying late at night, according to Matthew 14, 23, that says after the day went by in which he fed 5000, we read that after he had dismissed them, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. And when the evening came, he was there alone. Even Judas knew when Jesus was going to pray. And even Judas knew the places where Jesus would normally go to pray. Because it tells us in John 18, too, that Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place where Jesus had often met with his disciples to pray. Now, for those of us who, I mentioned, come from backgrounds where we know that our families prayed, I could take you right to the place where my grandfather would pray every day. I know where my mom and dad would pray every day. I believe that our children should be able to look back at our lives and say, I know exactly where my mom and dad's going to be at a certain time of the day because they're going to be praying. To give them the comfort of knowing that. So Jesus had time and places for his prayer. The apostles picked this up from Jesus. It says they devoted themselves to prayer in Acts chapter 2.42. Peter and John in Acts 3.1 says they're going to the temple at the hour of prayer. Acts chapter 10.9 says Peter at noon is personally in a time of prayer going up to the top of a low-lying Palestinian flat roof to pray. We read it all the time. They were praying. And these examples of Jesus' life and the life of the early church perhaps teach us that we best pray when we open our day and when we close our day. And depending on what the schedule is of your life, find a place and a time and set it aside and begin to pray. And early in our prayer, ask God to direct your prayers. Say, Lord, what do you want me to pray for? Some of you have been awakened in the middle of the night and you didn't know why. Some of you think that you're just having a problem sleeping when it might just be the Holy Spirit is knocking at the door of your heart saying, I need you to intercede. I need you to pray. I know you'll answer when I knock on the door of your heart. And if it takes waking you up, then you know what? If the Lord's going to wake you up to pray, then he will give you the energy for the sleep that you missed while you're praying. So let's follow the example and let's find a time and a place to pray. Second point. Use a pattern of prayer. Use a pattern. As you begin to build your prayer life, there are different patterns that we can use. And I, 
I have a couple of very simple ones that I want to discuss with you this morning because I believe that there are aspects that, you know, people are saying, give me something I can use. Give me something that I can use here. I heard one a long time ago, uh, and there are several patterns, but the first one that I remember as a teenager was taken from the Lord's Prayer, and it was built on the acronym of CHRIST. And it spells out Christ. And so if you're looking for a pattern of, of what you can do in prayer, here's one that you can use. Just kind of write Christ out. And at the very part of it, at the C part, put concentrate. Concentrate. Our Father, who art in heaven. In other words, I want you to know, Heavenly Father, that you've got my undivided attention. This would be an appropriate time for you not to take your cell phone with you. To put it on silent, not vibrate, because I can tell you the vibrators are so loud now that you put it down on the table, you can hear it upstairs when it vibrates. But put it away somewhere where you can have these moments to concentrate on the Father. Concentrate on what He's trying to tell you. Then we get to the H. H stands for hallelujah. Hallowed be thy name. I want to focus on worship. I want to focus on how much you mean to me. I want to focus those things on you. The R stands for rule. In other words, Christ, rule in my life today. I've invited you to be Savior and Master, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, so I'm going to give up the throne of my life today, and I'm going to ask you to sit on it, and you rule me. You direct me as you choose, but rule in me. Then we get to the I. Give me this day. Give me, Lord, this day. Whatever you've created me for today, I ask that you would accomplish that in me. May I be so sensitive to your voice that whatever I'm doing, you can interrupt me at a moment's notice and turn my attention to whatever you would have for me. But Lord, I need you to give me this day as you have created it for me. Then we get to S, Savior. As you begin to recognize Him as Savior, you begin to ask Him to forgive me of my sin. And then you get to T, triumph. Lead me not into testing or lead me not into temptation, but deliver me. This is one that's very simple, easy to use, something that you can remember. And then all of life can be brought under that umbrella. But there's another one that I would like to give you this morning. And it's probably one that I use more because I think it, number one, it's shorter. For those of us with less memory space than some others. But I believe it's just as helpful, and uh, it's a pattern that uh, comes from the book of Acts. Simple way to pray. All kinds of expressions off this, but it's kind of a skeleton. It gives you a backbone of something to build on. And the A stands for adoration. Adoration. We begin in prayer not by rushing into God's prayer or rushing into His presence, and the first words out of our mouth are, Help me! I need your help, and I need it right now! This starts with something a little calmer. The aspect of running into his presence and recognizing whose presence it is that you have run into. 
And at that moment, we begin to recognize the magnificence of God. We begin to understand that great Christian praying relies on starting with adoring our God. He loves me and I love Him. I want to express that to Him from the very beginning of the day. Lord, everything else, You already know all of my needs. I just want to start by telling You how great You are, even if You don't do things the way I think You should. I think You're awesome. As you look in Acts chapter 1, they started with a prayer meeting. In Acts chapter 2, they were told to go and wait. And there was a 10-day waiting period there. And I've often thought, what did they pray about for 10 days? The Lord had told them to go to Jerusalem. I doubt if at that particular moment they had very many prayer requests. It seems, according to the context of the Scripture, that the only pressing need of that time, especially among the disciples, was uh, who are we going to get to take Judas's place? So as you begin to think about what they must have been doing in that 10 days of prayer, I suspect that they were adoring God for 10 days. I suspect that in prayer they were talking to Jesus and probably very much in the same way that they had talked to him when he was in the flesh in front of them. They were used to talking to Jesus. They were used to being around him and having these conversations. And so I would imagine that their prayer was very conversational. This is something that we need to learn. There's this whole idea out there that God doesn't accept prayers if you don't have a great vocabulary. That if you don't come before the almost highly God of all the world. You know, and we forget that since he's created us this way, that he just likes conversation. One of the great things that my wife and I both enjoy about praying with my dad is he's just so conversational with God, you know. It doesn't, you know, he doesn't start with this big breath of oh, just a cleansing breath before I get started. He's just, hey, God, just want you to know we love you today. You're so awesome. And we just want you to know that we're thinking about you right now. You know, and you get done with that prayer and you're going, man, I could do that. And so there's this aspect of just being conversational with God as if you are talking to him standing face to face. And especially for children and teenagers. Children are really good with this because they don't know anything else. You teach children to pray and they just pray. When you're sick and you have a child that's kind of grown up in the church and they talked about healing, they're going to come over and slap their head on your forehead. God, would you make them better? Thank you. Amen. This childlike faith and aspects of prayer, but they're very conversational. And that's the way it is with us as well. For 10 days, I suspect that they did nothing but just in conversation begin to relive memories. Lord, when Lord, I know that I was there with you when you ascended into heaven and that you're going to come back again. But do you remember that time that we were just walking together? I've just been thinking about that. And I just want you. That was such such a great time for me, you know. And there are aspects of our life that are just like that. Say, Lord, do you remember that time? Just like you're talking to a friend. And just begin to adore Him. In fact, when it says that when the baptism of the Holy Spirit was poured out on them and they began to speak in languages that they had not learned, it says that what they were speaking for those that could understand them was the magnificence of God. They were speaking in tongues and in other languages the very things that they had probably been talking about for ten days. 
the magnificence of how great God is. Oh, Lord, we want to start by adoring you. Everlasting, our ever-loving God. And our experience will be better if we can begin our prayer with adoration. The second part of prayer is confession. In John chapter 1, verse 9, the Scripture says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want you to notice that that verse starts with the word if. Do you recognize that there is a part that we must play before we get to the cleansing? Some people believe that just because God loves them that He will never discipline them. That just because God loves them that He will never allow them to be pruned. Some people believe that just because God loves them or God is loved that they will never have to face eternal punishment. The Scripture makes it very clear that He responds to us. If we confess, He forgives. That there's this aspect that we must involve ourselves in in order that He might do the part that comes very naturally for Him, and that is to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Every one of us, I think, every day needs to review our life and see what needs to be brought to the Lord for cleansing. Does that mean that we're driven by some sort of guilt complex where we are so guilt-ridden as Christians that we need to continually empty our soul and dredge up all the muck that's there? I don't believe that. That's not the idea at all. I just believe that we need factual recognition when we stand before the Lord that we need Him to cleanse us on a daily basis. My thoughts, my actions, my words and deeds betray me. I need the Lord to bring those to my attention so that I can confess those and give those to Him and give Him frank acknowledgement of my absolute need of Him as my Savior in my life. And frankly, we need moments of correction We need Him to be able to correct us. And confession gives us that frank acknowledgement. If we keep ourselves clean regularly, it doesn't hurt nearly so bad when we come before Him. Because we are used to bringing things to Him. If you wait a long time, there may be so much that He's going to have to pull out the SOS pad to get all the dirt off you. And that might leave you a little red at the end. Sometimes that's why conviction starts with an ouch. As he begins to deal with things within our life. So confession on a regular level allows us to deal with things as they emerge. It allows us to have the example of not letting the sun go down on something that we know we need to deal with the Lord about. So that we don't go to bed angry. It helps us to deal with our life so there's never a chance for the root of bitterness to begin to grow or be watered by time. Lord, is there anything I need to confess? If you can't think of anything and you pray that way, if there is, he'll let you know. Several years ago, I got onto a private plane with a friend of mine. We were in Long Island and we were going to be going to Wyoming to do some hunting. And we would planned this trip. And as we looked at the maps and everything, we were kind of planning it on some straight lines so that we could get to Wyoming as quick as possible. And the first day, things went really well. And the second day, we get up and jumped into the airplane and and, uh, he started the engines right up. And we took off from the little airport we were at and... And as we began to fly, we could see this bank of clouds in front of us, and he didn't have the, the type of instruments that let him know how severe that storm may look. And from the outside, he says, I think we can get right through this. And it didn't take very long to get into that to recognize that that was far more severe than it looked from, from the outside. In fact, we were really being, by the turbulence, jerked around in there. And if any of you have ever flown an airplane, you know that one of the essential things that you do before you ever go anywhere is you go through your checklist. 
of what you're supposed to do. And he hadn't done that that particular day. And as we were flying, I remember clearly both of us were wearing the, the headphones so that we could hear the tower talking and we were communicating that way. And from the way the storm was pushing us, I remember there was a crackling into the radio of a control tower that was letting him know in language that I cannot use on a Sunday morning in church that we were about to be blown into some dangerous air. In fact, he says, you are about to be blown into places where jets are landing and taking off. And, and uh, my friend who was the pilot quickly asked then, uh, give me some coordinates to get out of here. And they did. And, and uh, we got out of there and out of the danger zone. And I begin to think about that in, in the aspect of our spiritual life. There are a lot of things that happen in life that will blow you into danger zones. Things that you never planned, things you didn't make a map to go there. But you just, if you forget the checklist of going to the Lord for aspects, your life can be blown into danger zones. And one of the things that you know you've done when you've done there is you, when you begin to justify the sin that you're in because of the circumstances of life. When you begin to excuse the fact, well, I can do this because God knows my heart. Those are the biggest cop-out words I've ever heard as it relates to trying to justify you living in sin directly against the Word of God because you fail to go to the checklist with Him and say, Lord, what is there in my life that I need to confess? That I need to be brought into the aspect of pleasing You. It's like Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah was perhaps perhaps the most perfectly righteous person outside of Jesus. And Jesus was without sin. But as you read Isaiah, you never read of a flaw in his personality. When he sees God, this man that we consider so righteous, when he sees God high and lifted up, his words were, Woe woe is me, for I am undone. So holy is God that even your goodness doesn't look good next to him. So perfectly is he in his purity that it doesn't matter if you think you're going to go to heaven just because you're a good person. His holiness will display to you the things that you need to bring to him to confess, to be cleansed before him. When Isaiah sees the purity of God, he recognizes in his own life there's a need for him to get to God and have his sins covered in forgiveness. Now, I... Notice that most of you ladies wear rings and most of them have diamonds on them. And there's this beautiful thing about the diamond when you're holding it out in the sunlight. In fact, I love watching girls who are newly engaged and nobody is noticing their ring. Oh, it's hot in here. Maybe I better take off my ring. Or they get outside and they're just kind of catching the sun and beaming the baby around. In the sun... Diamonds look phenomenal. They're gorgeous. The the light sparkles on them. But you give it to a jeweler who puts it under just the right kind of light and on that black velvet, and suddenly, if there's any flaws in the diamond, they begin to show up. Our lives should look beautiful in the world in which we live because of our relationship with Christ. But when God begins to put the spotlight of His Holy Spirit on us, we will quickly recognize there are things that every one of us needs to confess. There's flaws that we need to bring before the Lord. Next is T, represents thanksgiving. Adoration, adoration, confession, thanksgiving. Jesus did this when he was facing the cross. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four said he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. Every time we have communion, we talk about Jesus giving thanks. Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. 
present your needs to God. In other words, the Lord wants us to be reminded that we are blessed to even be able to talk to him. And so we should be thankful for our lives. I know there are times in our lives when it's difficult for us to be thankful. There are times when we're going through grief. There are times we're going through difficulties. There are times that we're going through things that we didn't cause, that other people did to us or as a result of their action we're going through, and it's hard. But the Lord never tells us there's moments that we can't be thankful. He never excuses us from the aspect of being thankful. In fact, Paul says that the Romans, that the problem that they had, or he says the pagans, the problem they had was that they neither honored God nor gave him thanks. In other words, they believed that their life was as a result of what they were doing. Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. God has done wonderful, wonderful, wonderful things for us. There's none of us that can deny that. And he likes to be thanked for it. We can thank God for each member of our family. You can thank God for every blessing that you have. Don't, don't worry about what you don't have. Thank Him for what you do have. Thank Him for the ability that you have to even give thanks. Thank, you, thank Him for the ability that you have to breathe that day. Thank Him for your health if you're healthy. Thank Him for your job if you have one. You may not like it, but there's a lot of people that would love to have it right now. There is much to be thankful for. And even thank God for the trials that you're going through. Because there's aspects of that that he wants to teach you something. Then we come to S. S is for supplication. The time to bring specific requests before the Lord. John 17, when Jesus had adored and given thanks, he had no sins to confess. So in his supplication, he prayed for himself and he prayed for the people closest to him. And then he prayed for the people that are farther out. He prayed for us. And when we pray, it is well that we pray, Lord, do what you want to change me. Do what you want to change me. Sometimes our prayer is, Lord, there's a few people I think you need to work on that would make my life easier. And we're really good at that aspect of, of beginning to point out to the Lord. In fact, through the years of being a pastor, there have been times when I have, when I have given a certain point in sermon and I've seen people pick up their shoulders and look at other people going, did you hear that? You need to that was for you. We're really good at picking out points of messages that we want other people to hear. Sometimes the Lord says, uh, put your hand down. Because there's a lot of people that are hoping that I'm pointing at you. What do you want to change in me? So often I come to him and ask him to change my circumstances. And sometimes he says, I'm with you in those circumstances. If you look carefully through the book of Acts, you'll find that the early church prayed five times specifically for something to happen. Five times. They often prayed, and a lot of their praying was praise unto the Lord when requests weren't even given. But five times we have the request, and each time God answered. The first time they requested a replacement for Judas in Acts 1.24. Stephen prayed that his enemy would be forgiven, and the Lord gave, and the Lord, uh, after they prayed for Judas, the Lord gave him Saul of Tarsus. Stephen prayed that his enemy would be forgiven, and the Lord opened up heaven. Peter and John in Acts 8.15 prayed that the Samaritans would receive the gift of the Spirit, and they did. The early church prayed for Peter that he would be released from prison, 
and be delivered from danger. And they couldn't even believe it when God answered that prayer. And he showed up knocking at the door and they closed in his face and said, I'm sorry, that's not really you. Paul prayed for a sick man in Acts 28, 8, and he was healed. Supplication praying, taking our needs before the Lord. This is the thing that we do the best, and I believe that this is probably something that we could probably learn to do least because the Scripture says God knows your needs before you even bring them to Him. In other words, I believe that God has started working on things in your life before you ever have a chance to talk to Him about it. So aware is He of your life. And to this A-C-T-S, to the Acts, I want to add one thing. It doesn't make any sense in the letters, but it's an L. Makes it Axel. I told you it doesn't make sense. But it's a good thing to add. It's called listen. Listen. As part of praying, we need to recognize that conversations are often held between two people. And that the Lord wants to speak to our lives, wants to bring things to our heart. He says, my sheep know my voice. In other words, as we grow in relationship with him, we will begin to recognize what it is and when it is that he is speaking to us. I want you to know that God is far more interested in you and me as an individual than he is a product of our labor. Did you hear that? God is far more interested in you and me as individuals than he is what we do for him. So great is the aspect of relationship. I'm going to ask our worship team if they would please come. As you're reading the word, ask the Lord, what is there, Lord, that you want me to apply from this verse, whether it be one verse, two verses? What is it, Lord, that you want me to apply of your word today? And out of this very simple acronym that you have, I'm going to ask that you would take with you maybe a little notepad and just begin to jot down things that you think the Lord may be speaking to you. When you're praying in these five minutes as you start, review your day. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Review the coming day. Take it to the Lord in prayer. If there are things going on, take it to the Lord in prayer. Put our desires into our prayers. We can pray with a journal or you can pray with a notebook or keep track of the prayers that God has answered. That's a great way to begin to see the power of God is to begin to keep track of the prayers that God has answered already. If you're feeling cold within your spirit, ask God to warm you up. There's a book written by R.G. Sproul. It's called Effective Praying. Some of you may have heard about it. I was attracted to it by its cover. It shows a man that's praying and he's kneeling. And he's covered by ice block up to about his waist. And as he is praying, you begin to see the block of ice melting that was totally encasing him. I believe that that's the way prayer is for us. Some of you feel cold in your spirit. Some of you feel distant from God. Some of you have been asking the Lord, Lord, I need to sense your presence closer than I've ever sensed it before. This comes through prayer as we yield ourselves to the Lord. And so I ask that God would help us each to be individuals of prayer. Find a time and a place. Start with adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, and then listen. And I conclude with this. I read a story that some of the African converts, because they don't have places of prayer within their own huts where they live, there was a village that began to go out to a place and it was nothing more than just a group of tree-lined brush 
just a brushy straight line and people would begin to crawl into different places in the brush and make that their own place of prayer and this village began to do this so often that each individually from there from the hut where they lived the trail that they would take to their little place in the brush would begin to be worn down from the trail they'd taken day by day one of the missionaries related the story when he got back he says it it became apparent those who were regularly praying and they said it got to be that the Africans would look at if grass began to grow back into the path of an individual, they would go to him and say, remind him, brother, the grass grows on your path. It's time to get back to prayer. The grass grows on your path. It's time to get back to prayer. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Lord Jesus, we come to you as did your disciples. And our request hasn't changed. Lord, teach us to pray. We so need to pray. You've got so many things that you want to do through our prayers and in us while we pray. Help us to be men and women and young people of prayer. Help us to grow and develop in this, we pray. Jesus' name, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you're here today and you're saying, you know, you, Pastor, you've talked about prayer a lot, but I don't even have relationship with Jesus. I don't know what it's like to have my sins forgiven. And, you know, you were talking about that. And I want to know the joy of being able to be thankful to the Lord because I've got a brand new life. If you're here today and you've never been a Christ follower, but today you would like to make that decision, then I want to give you that opportunity. And I want you just very simply, nobody is looking around. Everybody's heads are bowed. Everybody's eyes are closed. This is a moment between you and God alone. And as his agent, I am standing here. But I'm just going to ask that you would simply just lift your hand so that I can see it. And I'm going to say, I agree with you. And then you can put it right back down. But just a point of making a decision today as I look around the sanctuary. Is this your day of salvation? Is this the day that the Lord has created for you to have new life in Jesus Christ? This is your moment. Is there any today that would say, I'm ready to be a Christ follower. I want to know the joy of my sins forgiven. Is there any? Hallelujah. Father, I pray that if you're dealing with the hearts of one today that may be struggling with that decision on the inside, I pray that you would be patient with them. Continue to lead them and guide them until they can come to a point of decision of making you their Lord and Savior. And now I ask, O oh God, that you would help us as we begin a journey that will include prayer with you every day. In Jesus' name, amen.